So we're going through theology right now. And theology is always, especially when it's Pauline, that is, Paul wrote it, Pauline. Even Peter said, the things Paul writes are hard to understand. Peter said that. Do you know that? And that's in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's lofty, deep, and rich gold. So let's, uh, let's go on into Ephesians, and we're going to go through most of uh, chapter 3 tonight. We're going to move right along. Now, I told you I was going to tell you a secret tonight, didn't I? Is that the reason you're here? No. Okay. Uh, Last time we made it through chapter 2, verse 18, and we saw that by the sacrifice of his blood, Jesus tore down the walls of separation between Jew and Gentile and between mankind and God. Now, let me tell you the way it works. You get right with God and that wall comes down, then the walls this way start coming down. Because he immediately moves on us to get right with people. You know, I remember I I was very um, alienated from my dad when I got saved. We had been through just a lot, and I went through four divorces as a kid. I'm not saying that. You know, my dad was a naturally conservative guy, but he just couldn't seem to settle. So four divorces. And so I went through a lot, ping pong ball in the home. And... Along the way, I got just a real root of bitterness against my dad. Well, first thing Jesus told me to do when I got saved is make it right with him. I mean, told me, make it right with your dad. So as soon as this wall came down, then these walls started coming down. And I went to my dad, and we made things right. And thank God, when he went to heaven, I had been fully restored to him and gotten to know him and spent a lot of time with him. Amen? So Jesus tears down walls. The devil erects walls, okay? Now, it says he is our peace. Can we say that together? He is our peace who has broken down every wall. Wow. Thank God he did that. Now, verse 18 concludes with something extremely awesome. It says, for through him we both have access. Now, when he says both, he means Jew and Gentile. We both have access to the Father By one spirit, both Jew and Gentile have equal access to the Father by the Spirit of God. Now, we as Christians have access to God the Father that others don't. Now, that's not a condescending statement. It's not a na-na-na-na-na-na statement because we stand only by the grace of God, okay? God did it all by his grace. But the fact is, until you come to Christ, you don't have access to the Father, not by the blood. Here's what you can pray to the Father before you know Christ. God, help me. God, lead me to the truth. And if you pray that prayer, you're going to find Christians coming your way to tell you about Jesus. So he'll hear that. He hears a cry for help. I'm not saying God ignores all people, but I'm saying that access by which we fellowship with him, by which we enjoy his spirit, by which he speaks to us and we with him and we walk with him, that's not available apart from the blood of Christ. By grace, we have an audience with the Father at any time, day or night. He never sleeps. The Bible says he never never slumbers nor sleeps. And so when you're asleep, God is watching over you. Amen? And Christ is praying for you while you sleep. So by grace, we have this incredible access. Now, next we see Jesus as the chief 
cornerstone of the church. Look what he says in verse 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, okay, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, folks, as we read this, think about what we're reading because this is telling us what Jesus did for us. See, we were outside the promises of God. We were aliens from his presence, but now we have been brought near, how? By the what? Blood of Christ. So he made us no longer strangers, but citizens with the saints and members of his house. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being what? The chief cornerstone. So he's the cornerstone of the house. Jesus is the cornerstone And what the apostles gave us by the word of God is the foundation. And look what happens once that foundation is laid and Jesus is the cornerstone. Watch what happens with you and me and with the church congregation. In whom the whole building, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a building. Better yet, turn to him and say, you're a brick in the building. Now watch this, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Wow. So you remember that beautiful Solomonic temple and that was torn down when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, but remember that beautiful, stupendous temple that Solomon built for the glory of God and then later when it was rebuilt? when they had returned from captivity. And remember the temple that was torn down, Herod's temple, when um, the Romans invaded Jerusalem in 70 AD and it was torn down? All those magnificent structures, listen, they pale in comparison to God's church. For you and I are now a habitation of God through the Spirit. Can I put it another way? He lives here. So when we get together and worship, we got to keep in mind, we're not coming together to some social club, but we're coming together to worship God. And it says he, in, he inhabits, he invades, he, he saturates that place with his presence, the praises of his people. So we are literally a dwelling place, an abiding place of God, because you and I are now the temple of the spirit. in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You know, I've been in churches that was like God's frozen chosen. I've been in churches where it was so cold you could ice skate to the back. I've been in them, and I preached in them. And there's nothing harder. I had a preacher text me a couple of weeks ago, and he said, man, pastor, pray for me. I'm preaching in a church, and it is so dead. And as I said, just let it rip. Just preach the word. But I understand what he's saying. But you get into a church that really loves Jesus and, and, and that it has been filled with his spirit, and they begin to worship God, and literally God comes down, and it is, it is his dwelling place. It's a tangible, almost a tangible substance. It's a tangible presence. He lives among us. And then when we go home, he's still living in you, and your body is his temple. 
So look at this revelation coming out of Paul. It's, it's powerful stuff. So in contrast to our old place outside of God's blessing and promises, we've now received three incredible blessings. Let me show you what they are. Let's just read them together. Access to the Father by the Spirit through Christ. Two, citizenship with God's people. Three, family membership in God's household. You're a family member. You're my sister, you're my brother, and you know what? I'm closer to many of the saints than I am some of my own flesh and blood siblings because I have fellowship in the Spirit with you. You're my blood-bought family. We've all been adopted together. And we're all now members of God's own family. And you don't have to fill out a card to become that. But as soon as you say, Jesus, forgive me, and the Spirit comes to live inside of you, you have just been adopted into a brand new family. So we have access to the Father. What precious access? Any time of the day or night, we have citizenship with God's people, and we have family membership. Now, verse 22 says, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, the dwelling place in this passage is not the individual heart of the believer in this passage. But as I've already been sharing with you, it's the congregation itself. It's plural. The the whole church is his dwelling place. Our churches are to be a dwelling place for God, not flesh. A dwelling place for God, not competition. A dwelling place for God. That's why I get excited when when it's time to come worship. Because I know if we really worship the Lord, he's coming down. Amen? Amen? What an awesome awesome thought. The church is not a club. It's not a business. It's not just another hangout or a social gathering. It is literally a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So do you, when you're on your way to church, are you excited about coming into his presence, into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and knowing that we're going to experience his presence together? Amen? Now, as we move into chapter 3, we're going to learn a secret. Here comes the secret. Three words sum up this chapter, and here they are. The mystery, the ministry, and the mission of God's church. And you, because you are the church. You are the ecclesia, which means called out ones. He calls you out to call you in. And so he's called us out of the world to bring us into fellowship with him and with one another. Now, so those three words are the watchwords of chapter 3. The mystery, the ministry, and the mission of the church. Here comes verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. What What an odd thing to call himself. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. And when Paul says, for this reason... He's referring back to what he just said in chapter 2, 11 through 22. For this reason, he's just continuing on. Remember, there's no chapter breaks in the original text. There's no chapter breaks and there's no verses. It's just one long letter. So we broke it up in chapters and verses to better understand it and keep track of it, memorize it and all that good stuff. But when he says for this reason, he's just in a continuum. So for this reason, he's referring back to what he said in those verses, 11 through 22, the last half of chapter 2, that God has broken down the barrier between Jews and Gentiles, making Gentile Christians one with God's people, full citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, he says in verse 2, 
Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, remember, church, he's talking to Gentiles, not Jews, Gentiles. the, The Jew of Jews was called to minister to the Gentiles, and that be most of us. Amen? How many of you are a Gentile? Let me see. Okay. Now, see, it was a shock to so many people in the first century when they realized that God was taking the gospel to the Gentile, not just the Jew. It was a shock because they had always envisioned the Gentiles outside of the promises as less than, lesser than, less important than people to whom the covenant and promises did not come. So all of a sudden, Paul is told by Jesus, I'm calling you to go to the Gentiles. So look what he says. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you Gentiles. That is, the mystery made known to me by what, everyone? Say the word again with me, revelation. Very important word. Now, when Paul uses the word mystery, it's mysterion in the Greek. He's not talking about what we might find in a mystery novel where we keep reading until a mystery or a riddle is solved. You know, the good mystery novel snags you in the beginning and you stay with it till the end so you can find out the answers to the riddle or what the mystery was, the answer to the mystery. That's not what mystery means here. That's not what mysterion means. He's talking about the unmanifested or private counsel of God, God's secret, which was hidden from human reason and ingenuity and can only be known by revelation. I want you to hold your Bible up. Hold your Bible up. You've got a Bible with you. Hold it up. I want you to understand you're holding a book of revelation. You're holding a book that if we didn't have this book, we would know virtually nothing about God, nothing about his plan, nothing about how we fit into his plan. This book is a a book where God has lifted the veil, parted the curtains, and allowed us in to what was going on in his mind and his heart and his plan for the ages. So when I open up this book, I've got a a fake one at home that inside when you open it, a light shines out. used to be a little prop when we were ministering to kids. So I open it, and this light comes out, and, and it illumines my face. I feel that way when I open up this book. Because this is God's revelation. This is God's divine revelation. He didn't give us this book for us to study it, or to judge it, rather. But he gave us this book for it to judge us. We don't bring this book into account. It brings us into account. We don't say what ought to be here. It tells us the way we ought to be living. So this is God's divine revelation. And and it's precious. There's no book like this on the planet. It is precious. So Paul is telling us what I got, the mystery that was revealed to me, came by way of revelation. It wasn't my brilliant mind. It wasn't my IQ. I didn't come up with this. The Lord revealed it to me. He's talking about a secret hidden for the ages And only now in Paul's day, ready to be revealed. What we see, what we're about to see, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the Old Testament prophets and wise men wanted to see these things and could only see glimpses and and shapes and shadows. But then the fullness came in Christ and he revealed it through his apostles and prophets of the new covenant. 
So let's move on. Paul tells us that he's been particularly chosen for this mission of revealing God's hidden secret. He makes it a point that it isn't his idea or his discovery or something he figured out, but that the mystery was made known by revelation. That is, God revealed it to him, and if God hadn't revealed it to him, he'd have never known it. The means of this revelation was what, everybody? By the Spirit. So the Holy Ghost showed this to Paul. The direct recipients of this revelation are God's holy apostles and prophets. And then there is a big lesson here. And I want you to catch this. Christianity is not a religion that men figured out or invented. Any other world religion is. Buddhism is. Islam is. Any of the Indian religions, the cultic religions, you name it. Mormonism, you name it. The world religions. They're all made up, contrived, come up with in the mind of men, but not Christianity, not God's plan through his son Christ. That is, that came by divine revelation. It came from God to men, not from men. It comes to us by revelation. God revealed it directly to us through inspired writers of Scripture the holy apostles and prophets. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God bore them along, carried them along, moved on them as they wrote. Not automatic writing like they went into some trance. Not like that. But like a sailboat is borne along by a breeze. And as they were borne along, carried along, prodded along, they wrote what God put on their heart and mind. Now, then what is the mystery we're talking about? What is the mystery? What's the big deal? Okay, Paul, what were you selected to do to make us understand? Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. That's it. You got grafted into the promises God gave to Israel. Members together of not two bodies, Jew and Gentile, but one, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That's it. Everybody say, that's it. You say, well, that's anticlimactical, Pastor Jeff. Oh, no, it's not. Let me tell you something. All the incredible promises God gave to the Jewish people, to Israel, starting with Abraham, uh, have all now come upon the Gentiles. And we are now fellow heirs, partakers, equal, on equal footing at the foot of the cross with the Jewish people. That may not be a revelation to you, but it was a huge eye-opener to early Jewish believers and to the Gentile believers who had been made to feel like they were second-class citizens around Jewish Christians. There was always a, 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 a sort of an uppity, condescending uh, one-upmanship when it came to the way the Jew looked at the Gentile at you and me, because after all, they were the ones who had received the covenants, the promises, the revelations, Moses, Abraham, all of that. So there was this, we're better than you. God has blessed us and not you. We're in, you're out. We're up, you're down. But then Paul, it's revealed to Paul, hey, no, I'm going to give the same 
promises and blessings to those lowly Gentiles, and they're going to be on equal footing, and they're going to be co-heirs, co-receivers of everything I promised to my people. So say with me, I'm not a second-class citizen in the eyes of Jesus Christ. No, no. He describes the Gentiles in relationship to Israel in three ways. And let's read this together. First, heirs together. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Heirs together or co-heirs. Number two, members together of one body. And third, sharers together. I mean, folks, we got brought in. We got brought in. But lest we get the big head, Paul makes the point in Romans 9 through 11 that we are not to look with hostility on the Jews, even unbelieving Jews. Why? Look what he says in Romans 10, 25. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in their hearts in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Our God is so profound. You notice he came to his own and his own received him not. His own being the Jewish people. He came to his own, children of Abraham, and they didn't receive him. So what did God do? He said, all right, then I'm going to turn you over to judicial hardness of heart, and I'm going to pour out my grace on the Gentiles. And when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when the last Gentile has been saved... Then I'm going to turn back to the Jew, and they're going to experience a revelation of me. So right now, Paul says other, elsewhere in Romans 9 through 11, he says, don't boast like you're some big deal because God took you a wild olive branch, and he grafted you into the real thing. So don't walk around boasting, but let it humble you and let it make you say, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, because if you hadn't grafted me in, I would have never been saved. So God hardening the heart of the Jews for a season has turned out for our salvation. Who can fathom the depths and the ways and the riches of God? That he has done this. Everybody say amen. Let's lift our hands and just thank the Lord. Father, we just thank you that you grafted us in. We were the wild olive branch, and you grafted us into the true olive branch. And now we're bearing the fruit of the olive. We're bearing the health of the olive. We're bearing, Lord, everything that was in that original olive tree. It's now flowing through our veins because we were grafted in. Thank you, Lord. We don't boast, but we say thank you for amazing grace. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Next, Paul talks about the immense sense of privilege that he felt as the primary teacher and preacher of this mystery. He said, praise God. Once he understood his calling, and I'm called to the Gentiles, he rejoiced in it. Look at verse 7 through 9. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Everybody say with me, I am what I am, by the grace of God. That's Paul's testimony of himself. Now, notice there. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by grace alone. What we have, we have by the grace of God. And what we're not yet, when it comes to being like Jesus, grace just hasn't brought it about yet. 
but we're all works of grace every single day. Now, although, he says in verse 8, although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to who? The Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was what? What was it? Everybody say it. Kept hidden in God. God hid this until the new covenant, who created all things. God created all things. Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles. Instead, he was a dedicated enemy of the young church, hunting down Christians. Here we go. There we go. Hunting down Christians that they would be tried and put to death for apostasy. So he was a sort of a Johnny-come-lately. Paul was. And then the grace of God on the road to Damascus, he, he wasn't on a horse. It says nowhere in there he was on a horse. All of a sudden, there was a great light and a voice, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? Don't you know that was one shook-up Jewish rabbi? Uh, who, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Well, wait a minute. I haven't persecuted you. I was persecuting your people, but I guess if I persecute them, you take it personally. And he got saved after all that activity against the church. Now, it was on this kind of search and destroy mission, Christ appeared to Paul and presented him with his stunning commission to the Gentiles. Look what he said to King Agrippa when Agrippa said to him, tell me your story. Look at part of what he said to him. Now he's saying, this is what Jesus said to me, Agrippa. I have appeared to you, Paul, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you Now, you've got to read this with me because this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when you get saved. So read it with me. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wow. What a call. So if you're really saved... That's what happened to you. You were delivered from darkness to light, from Satan's power to God's power, and you have received forgiveness of sins. So that was Paul's call. So he says in verse 8, he was called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Now, I tell you often, if you're here much, that words matter. That word unsearchable is unsearchable. It means inscrutable, incomprehensible, fathomless, Literally, untrackable. The riches of Christ can't be tracked. That is, we will never, until we're in glory, fully comprehend the riches that have come our way because of our salvation in Christ. It's untrackable. So the riches that are found in Jesus Christ can't be known, comprehended, found out, or tracked. It's unfathomable. Now, Paul comes to the church's place in all of this. Listen to what he says about the church, verse 10 and 11. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to who, everyone? 
the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, that's one of those verses, if you don't stop and think about what you just read, you won't get it. Stop and think about it a minute. Look at this. What was God's intent? That he has brought the gospel to the Gentiles and given us unsearchable riches. What is his intent? That through the church, that be you, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to spiritual beings. Rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which is he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The church, folks, is the agent of God or the agent that God has chosen to use in making his wisdom known. And be sure you catch it now. The church has revealed God's wisdom and plan even to angelic rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. And that encompasses both good and evil angelic powers. You know what that's telling us? Angels don't know everything. Angels don't have, um, uh, uh, they're not uh, omnipotent, all-powerful. They're not omniscient, all-knowing, like God. Their knowledge is limited. And can I tell you something else? So is Satan's. Satan's knowledge is limited. A lot of times he doesn't know what God's up to. He has no clue what is going on. And these angels, now you say, well, Pastor Jeff, this is really deep now. What, what are you telling me? I'm telling you that angels wanted to understand God's plan and couldn't until the church received revelation from God. And when the church began to preach it, that's when they learned it. And so, eight, well, I'll just show you a verse. Peter wrote this very thing. Look what he said in 1 Peter 1.12. He says, it's also wonderful, that is the gospel message and the resulting advance of the church and all of that. He said, it's also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. The King James says they, they are wanting to peer into it, look into it, understand it. <laughs> I know this is heavy stuff, right? Angels. So there were angels when Paul started writing these things down. What we're reading tonight, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and all this about the church and the manifold blessing of God and going to the Gentiles and the gospel and the blood of Jesus and the resurrection of the saints and all that. Angels, both good and bad, were watching this and going, oh, oh, oh. He's hopping around. There we go. Just why, that's why it's important that we proclaim the good news in their hearing. We don't really know. Why? We were chosen to be the ones that brought this to them. I don't know. I can't answer it. But Paul is clearly saying the church's proclamation of the gospel is not merely local and temporal, but it's cosmic in its importance. After assuring the Gentile Christians of their full status and full citizenship, in the kingdom of God, Paul encourages them to draw near to God and take advantage of this incredible act of grace. Look what he says, 12 through 13, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. I want us to read that together. That's so rich. Catch this. Ready? In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. I told my family a long time ago that any time my children or Kathy want to call me, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, they have access. 
Now, some people will call, and you all do this, and don't look at me mean, but I'll look and say, I can call them later because I got caller ID like you do. I'll call them later. Every once in a great while, I won't be calling back at all. I'm just kidding. Y'all are <laughs> so serious. But, but see, there are three who have access that no one else has. See, Jeremy, Julia, or Kathy, call me, and I see that it's them. Instant access they have to me, and it is more important to me than any other single thing. They're more important to me than the church. Well, Pastor Jeff, that hurts my feelings. It shouldn't. If I told you you were important to me than my family, you need to be concerned. They have access. And, and, and why? Because they're my family. Now, folks, we've got to understand. He says, you don't have to go crawling to God. Oh, God, please hear me. I just, can I just have your attention just for a second, then I'll go away? No. Because your family, he says, not only can you come into my presence, but come boldly, confidently. God has basically said, when I see that it's you, one of my children, you got my attention. You have access. Therefore, he says in verse 13, I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now, I want to close this time by pulling out the words, boldness and access with confidence. We've got to get this, folks. Boldness here means courage, fearlessness, especially in the presence of persons of high rank. Boldness, courage, fearlessness. I think a lot of Christians, I think we have a guilt complex. I, I think we still live by the performance thing. We, we, we have a real hard time believing that grace alone has saved us and our actions don't keep us saved. That God loves us because of his son and because of his blood. And yet we think, well, if I haven't jumped through the hoops just right today, he's probably not much listening to me. And we have a hard time believing. Now, I'm not saying come into his presence um, arrogantly or without thanksgiving or presumptuously, but the Bible says we can certainly come into his presence boldly with fearlessness and courage even though he's of highest rank because we're family. So there are times, and I had a prayer time like this last night. I prayed till one in the morning. I was just praying through some things. And I'm in my little place where I meet with the Lord. And, and uh, I, I put my Bible down and I was praying. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came on me. And before I knew it, in my voice, you know, our, we have doors and we have walls. But my voice, all the dogs, wherever they are in the house, they, they wonder, well, what's wrong? Because when I, when, when, and I really get down and pray, I can't do this. Oh, God, would you just please answer me here? No, it is roar. It is authoritative. It is pounding heaven. It is, here I am, God, I know you're hearing me, and here's what I want, and I'm laying hold of it. And that's how I was praying last night. And all of a sudden, I went into this gear, kind of overdrive, 
where I was very much coming boldly right into his presence saying, God, here's what I need you to do. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm standing on your word. I'm laying my hand. I put my hand right on the promises I was claiming. And I said, here it is. And I started slamming my Bible. And I said, here it is. This is what I need. Oh, God, do it. I was bold. And you know what I felt like when I was done? Good. good because I knew I was heard so you get a praying man or a praying woman oh the devil fears that you get somebody that just says forget it I'm not going to be Mr. Timid he told me come boldly I'm going to come boldly and and I'm going to storm the gates of heaven and I'm going to lay hold of the promises and I'm going to do it with 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 full fearlessness and I'm going to believe him to answer you get that way then hell trembles and heaven rejoices and God's hand has moved. Now, access means a path of approach. Now, we common folks have access to come before the king of the universe with our petitions. And he has given us access, a path of approach. Let me ask you a question. I'll give you an illustration real quickly. Here's an illustration. We have three dogs. Now, you know what I noticed one day? That when I um, go out back... I noticed that we got this big backyard, but when I go out back, there is a little pathway that has been trodden down and carved out by my dogs. For some reason, when they are let out the door, they've got this whole backyard, but they go down that same path. And so after a while, it beat all the grass down until now the grass is dead right there. And that's the path my dogs make to this one place they like to go. And it occurred to me one day, I was looking at that, we ought to all have a path like that cut out towards prayer. We, when God looks at the field of our life, there ought to be a trodden path where every day we have trodden that path towards the place of prayer so regularly that it has created a path. Now, if we can see paths in your life, what paths would lead to where or to what? TV, the movie theater, every Friday night. Um, I admit it, the coffee pot. <laughs> but, but how about, how trodden would that path be that you take where you meet with God? Would there be a path? And if so, how well-worn. He says, we have access, a path of approach to come before the king of the universe with our petitions. And then confidence is a word meaning a state of certainty about something to the extent of placing reliance on or trust or confidence in. See, when I've got confidence, then then I really believe what the person has told me is true. Okay? Let me me put it this way. You will never pray any better than how you view God. That is, if you think God is maybe an iffy proposition, you're not so sure he answers prayer, you're not going to pray much. If you believe he's a God of his word and that he has told us the truth about prayer, and we can go to him in prayer and be answered, if you believe that, 
then you're going to come with confidence. You're going to come with confidence. Because you know he's going to answer me. He's going to say yes, no, or wait. But he's going to answer one of the three. He's not going to ignore me. So I go boldly. I take that familiar path. And I go confidently. Because he's a God of his word. We can be utterly confident of his favor and love. Like a father who enjoys his children. Our heavenly father delights in his children. And he longs to spend more time with us. So let's stand together and read Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. And man, I'm proud of myself. I got done just in time for the choir. I'm supposed to end at 8.15. It's 8.12. Everybody give the Lord a hand. I can do it. (laughs) All right. But I want us to read this because Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 is an echo of what we just read in Ephesians. Ready? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Father, we just thank you for that access, for that path. We thank you, Lord for the grace of God that grafted us in. We thank you, Lord, that we can come confidently, boldly, and that you have given us a path of access. Help us to take full advantage of it. In the mighty name of Jesus, the Son of God. Can we just lift our hands to him and Keith's going to lead us in a stanza. And let's just...